The sermon for this afternoon, based on Psalm 50, is entitled, The Lord Speaks Out Against the Sin of Self-Deception. Dear brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, an objection that is often raised against the Christian church is the objection that the church is filled with hypocrites. This accusation has been made by people outside the church community, and sometimes members in the church can be very critical and frustrated with the behavior and lifestyle of adults and young people, and as a result are somewhat sympathetic to those who criticize the church. Are these objections legitimate? Is the church full of hypocrites? The accusation is often exaggerated, and those who make the point aren't always paying attention to what Christ is doing. It can easily become an excuse, keeping people from doing what Christ calls us to do, or from making a commitment to serve Christ. Years ago, a well-known preacher, James Kennedy, responded to, to, to this objection by cautioning people that if they were looking for the perfect church, they ought not to join it because they would ruin it. It's no small matter when the church is accused of hypocrisy, and we should not pass it off lightly. For what we are being told is that individuals in the church are putting on a, a nice, pious act on Sunday, but for the rest of the week, they are being secular, and it is very hard to tell that they are different from the rest of society. Our language is no different on the job site. We are just as materialistic. Our goals for our children are no different other than the fact that they attend Christian school. Our Christianity is largely an outward show. It makes us do some serious soul searching as we examine how we worship the Lord. Are we good at pretending and hiding behind a mask when we gather together for Sunday worship? Psalm 50 confronts us with these kinds of questions. How do we worship the Lord? Why do we go to this church and not another? Do we look at it as simply a matter of being conservative and others being more liberal? Or do we view how we worship as a matter of the heart? Do you come to church just to hear the things you want to hear or to have your hearts changed as we praise and worship God? The Lord wants us to examine the motivations of our worship, lest we deceive ourselves thinking that we're doing his will when in fact we are following our own. Psalm 50 is not a hymn, a prayer, nor is it a song of thanksgiving, but a speech from God. What God says isn't exactly pleasant or what his people want to hear, but he says it for their and our own good. Rather than get defensive and uptight, we need to evaluate what motivates us. What are our goals and aspirations? The orientation of our life is to be on God, whether when we go to a doctor, we expect him to tell us straight what's ailing us so that we can make the changes in our lifestyle. 
God speaks directly to us in this psalm to draw us closer to him. Psalm 50 is the first of 12 songs ascribed to Asaph. From other parts of scripture, we learn that Asaph was a prophet of the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 29, verse 30, we read that King Hezekiah and the princes commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. Besides being a prophet, Asaph was director of the temple choir. He led the people in song and music. In this way, the people who sang this song, the people who sing this song, teach and admonish each other to listen to the voice of the Lord. Most likely, the words of Psalm 50 were first heard when the people were gathered together in Jerusalem for the celebration of one of the major feasts, when the people entered Zion to offer sacrifices, to be instructed in the word of the Lord and to renew the covenant. But as Asaph clarifies in verses one to seven, the gathering of these church people is subservient to God's call and invocation. The Lord, the Most High, the judge of the earth, enters into a court case with his covenant children. The Lord convenes a court and summons his people to come forward as the defendants to hear the charges against them. He comes to them full of majesty, splendor, and glory. Israel hears from the Lord, who once came down on Mount Sinai, where he gave Israel the constitution of the covenant, and who now dwells in Zion, his holy hill. And when God addresses his congregation, he uses terminology and imagery that remind them of past revelations and appearances, of other occasions when he made known to them his will. Just as you can get summoned to appear in court, so the Lord sends out a summons. First, the world as a whole is summoned to observe what is about to happen. This is not a court case which will be behind closed doors. The whole world needs to know what God has to say. Both God's salvation and his judgment is of cosmic, universal, and ecumenical significance. Covenant history does not exist in a world of its own. Second, the heavens and the earth are summoned. Why they are summoned is explained in Deuteronomy 32, verse 1. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. The heavens and the earth are witnesses of the covenant the Lord made with his people. In the original making and renewal of the covenant, the people themselves had summoned heaven and earth to be the silent witnesses of what they promised to do as God's covenant people. They agreed to live according to the stipulations of the relationship, pledging to do all that the Lord commanded them. Now those same silent witnesses were summoned, this time by God. For the heavens and the earth had observed all the actions of the Lord's people that had followed their initial promise. Heaven and earth saw all that Israel did, 
whether or not they were loyal to what they had said they would do, whether their life was filled with hypocrisy. Yes, brothers and sisters, the Lord can do that. He can call the skies above your head and the earth you walk on to testify whether you have been faithful to him. He can use the walls of this building to testify and witness to what you have said and done and vowed while you were here. Even the walls and doors of your house or bedroom, which keep you out of sight of others, can be brought in as witnesses by the Lord of what you have done and the words you spoke. Finally, the Lord also summons those whom he has set apart and consecrated to be his children. Verse 5 says, Gather to me my consecrated ones, who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The members of the covenant who have been consecrated, that is set apart for God's service, are summoned to appear before the judge. Later they will renew the covenant, but first they must come under divine scrutiny to ensure that they are ready for the ceremony in which covenant sacrifice would be offered. The triple summons is followed by the judgment of the Lord on his people's worship and daily conduct. Note well, the judgment of the Lord does not bypass, but starts with the people of God. It begins with us. Verse 2 says, God shines forth out of Zion, that is, he manifests his glory in judgment of the church. He judges with his word and through the exercising of the keys of the kingdom. The Lord lays two charges against his people. The first charge is against their manner of worship. God does not condemn them for sacrificing, but for the manner in which they do that. He says in verse 8, I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings which are ever before me. But God does not need these sacrifices. Verse 9, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. They all belong to him in the first place. Every, every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. God does not need to be fed through those sacrifices. If he needed food, he would help himself, for the world and all that is in it is mine, says the Lord God. These people forget who God is. They think that they are doing him a service, but in actual fact, they are doing him a disservice by taking away from his glory and honor. They delude themselves thinking that he depends on them. Even though Israel worships and brings sacrifices, they do not honor the Lord. In a very heathen fashion, they pull God down to their level because they do not worship him as he prescribed. They do not allow the Lord to show his salvation. Why did he want them to offer sacrifices? In the first place, to show that they depended on his grace and needed his salvation and atonement in the coming Christ. Secondly, they sacrificed as an expression of thankfulness to, the, to God for deliverance. 
The Lord also lays charges against the hypocrisy of those who take his covenant name on their lips, but who do not show it in their daily life. Plenty of that was going on. Many of the people of God had all the answers as to how they were supposed to serve the Lord. The congregation recited the statutes, but ignored the commandments of, the, of God. They confessed the covenant, but ignored its teaching. They prided themselves in being the people of the Lord, but failed to practice it. Their lives were filled with hypocrisy, because when they finished worshiping the Lord, they turned around and violated his commandments by talking deceitfully, by saying things behind the backs of brothers and sisters in the Lord, by stealing and throwing their lot in with adulterers. So what is God saying to his people in all this? The rituals and customs of worship are good, but do not deceive yourself and think that they will save you. You are, fo <clears throat> you are fooling yourself to think that as long as I go to church, follow very carefully all the aspects of worship, as long as I sing songs from the Book of Praise, pay my voluntary contributions, God will be pleased. You cannot buy the favor and grace of the Lord by your works. What the Lord wants, above everything else, is a heart filled with love for him. God cuts through the hypocrisy of those who sing the praises of the Lord, pray and read their Bible, <clears throat> but who make that no more than an outward show week after week. He will punish those who do not show the work of Christ by leading holy lives, but who go and stab their brother or sister in the back by saying things about them that they have no business saying, or by failing to tell them to their faces what bothers them. The Lord exposes the self-deception of those who piously sit in church, but who steal from him and others, who join in the lot of adulterers by having a warped view on sexual relationships and on what God demands in marriage who do not care about God's ordinances from Monday to Saturday. The Lord has been patient with his people, but he cannot remain silent any longer because his people interpret his silence as consent and approval. They read it as a sign that he condoned their actions and was happy with the sacrifices, as if he only judges people by their, the performance of their rituals of worship God must speak because his righteousness is at stake. Brothers and sisters, listen to him who speaks to his people. Bow before the Lord of the covenant. His judgments begin with you. His judgment is severe. Our God is a consuming fire. Heed the serious warning of the Lord and follow the instructions he gives. For he who judges sin also offers another way. The Lord lays charges against the wicked and unrighteous actions of his people, but watch how he deals with them. He is not a judge who gives his verdict, determines the punishment, and then hands them over to the police to be locked behind bars. The Lord in his covenant mercy directs them to the right way and to the manner in which they should be worshiping him. He says, come to me and I will help you. 
offer to me your sacrifices of thanksgiving, for he who sacrifices thank offerings honors me. Pay your vows to the Most High, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you out of all your difficulties. By depending on me, I will show you your salvation, and you will glorify me. The Lord says this in verses 14 and 15 and repeats it in verse 23. Israel must offer sacrifices and live in holiness as prescribed by the law, nothing more and nothing less. They are to serve him with their hearts. As was stated earlier, the Lord does not look down on worship as if it doesn't really matter. He wants your praise, your prayers, your vows, your obedient service, but above everything else, he wants your hearts. When you serve God with your whole being and strive to do his will in everything, then he is honored. We are to depend on the Lord and in no way pretend that he depends on us. Nothing may ever be done merely out of custom or tradition, but out of love and devotion to him. When we're in distress, we run to, people, to the people we love. When we love God, we are to turn to him in prayer. Our offerings of thanksgiving, in whatever form, must be a song of praise for his grace and deliverance in Christ and a confession of the greatness of his mercy. If you view the rituals of worship correctly, you will not hold back the praise of your lips or the money of your wallets. For God says, offer to me the praise of your lips. What honors and glorifies me are sacrifices of thanksgiving that recognize salvation has to come completely from me. That honors and glorifies me. Do not let your own idea of worship stand in the way. Israel must bring thank offerings that honor God. Thank offerings were a special sacrifice. The participants would eat a meal of communion after the sacrifice was made. Part of the sacrifice was offered to God and the rest was eaten by the people. The meal was eaten in the temple as a symbol of the communion the covenant people could have with the Lord. The mercy and grace of the Lord allowed them to rejoice together. His deliverance, his deliverance let them lift the cup of salvation and call upon him with thankful vows. Nevertheless, that cup of communion was not for those living in sin, for those who speak falsehood, commit adultery, steal, or live with envy and hatred. Brothers and sisters, we honor God today when we offer our lives as a living sacrifice of praise, when we live by the mercy of the Lord. This is good and acceptable to him. Therefore, sing his praise with conviction and in a manner that shows that you mean what you say. We have moved further and live, and live under a covenant enacted on better promises, but our obligations are greater too. Therefore, listen to the voice of the judge who will come forth from the heavenly Zion to judge all the earth. 
On the last day, Christ will summon the heaven and the earth and all people to appear before him. Then the books will be opened. Indeed, all people will render account for every careless word they utter. The secrets and hypocrisies of men will then be publicly uncovered in the sight of all. And so for good reason, the thought of this judgment is horrible and dreadful <clears throat> to the wicked and evildoers. But it is a great joy and comfort to the righteous and the elect, Article 37 of the Belgic Confession. For the judge is your redeemer and substitute. He bore the curses of the Father for all those who in faith call upon him. Psalm 50 needs to be heard in the liturgy of the church today. We have been incorporated into the people of the Lord by a covenant made through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Let's examine ourselves, our motivations for worship, our motivations for coming to church and the basis of our daily conduct. Does our daily conduct match what we say we believe? Does our conduct show that our heart is on fire for the service of the Lord and that our home life and business is Christ-centered? He who offers his life as a sacrifice of thanksgiving honors God. The Lord will show his salvation to him who orders his way correctly. He will show it to us in the assembly of his people. Note well the conclusion of Psalm 50 isn't if you live a good life, then God will save you. But it is, you will see your salvation worked out when you set your life in order according to the commandments of the Lord. Children of the covenant who walk in God's way receive the assurance of salvation. They do not get that insurance, assurance if they go their own way. Pray that your life be consistent and that you are the same person in your group of friends as you are when in church. The Lord will peel away the coating of false piety and hypocrisy, if not today, for sure on the last day. God is glorified when we earnestly seek our salvation in Christ our Savior. He will show us his salvation, his grace, and mercy when we humble ourselves before the face of his majesty. Present yourself to God as a living sacrifice so that others may see Christ in you, so that you may see the work of Christ in your own life. You are not deceiving yourself to believe the gospel. You're deceiving yourself when you think it doesn't matter how you live and when you think you never have to examine yourself because you are a Christian. We worship God today and tomorrow and all the days of our life, because in faith we see Jesus crowned with glory and majesty. The Lord Jesus came to save us. He did not give us a mask to conceal who we are, but he gave us an entire wardrobe of clothing that set us apart. These are designer clothes bearing the label of his righteousness. To wear the garments of Christ in faith is not an act of hypocrisy. It is an act of redemption. So what are you wearing? A mask of hypocrisy or the clothes of his righteousness? Amen.
Let's sing Psalm 50, stanzas 8, 10, and 11.